Well, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, as you can see on the screen, we're talking today about the parable of the sower. Let me talk a little bit about parables. One of the things that makes studying the parables of Jesus challenging is that we've heard them before. We're familiar with them. We know how they end. Some of us know how they begin. We know the lead lines, the tag lines, maybe even some of the content itself of the parable. And Sometimes I think that keeps us from hearing a parable in a fresh way. Maybe to the extent that the content of it or the meaning of it gets distorted. What is a parable? Well, the word parable is a compound word. A combination of the Greek word para and balo. Para, the P-A-R-A of the word, means alongside of or beside of. The B-L-E coming from the Greek word balo means to throw. So literally, the word means to throw beside or to throw alongside of. It's what a parable is at its simplest. It's a, it's a comparison of sorts. Think of it this way. Jesus wants to teach us something about God or about something about how to live our lives in his kingdom. And in order to do that, he throws down alongside of the truth that he wants to get across a story that helps us understand the truth that he's teaching. He brings something alongside for us to gain understanding or to, to make it easier to understand. Now, of course, for those of you that have grown up in the church for a long time, we've always been taught that a parable is what? An earthly story with a heavenly meaning or an earthly story with a spiritual meaning, and that's a pretty good definition. And so a parable of Jesus, or they're oftentimes stories or anecdotes that try to bring the truth of what he's teaching down to where we can reach it. And let me also say this, parables are true-to-life stories. True-to-life stories, they are true-to-life comparisons. That is to say, a parable starts out in reality. It starts out in the world as we know it. So when Jesus, in our parable today, says that a sower went out to sow, we immediately think what? Yeah, okay, that's a farmer, I, I get that. And even though my concept of a farmer in 2022 is much different than the concept of a farmer in Jesus' day, because when I think of farmers, I think of tractors and combines. They wouldn't have thought of that. But still, Jesus' parables correspond to reality. They're true to life. And so the people that heard Jesus teach that way, they would never have said, well, that could never happen because they knew that it could happen. For instance, a man had two sons. One of them came and said, give me my share of the estate, Dad. I'm leaving. They knew that could happen. Now, in that society, such a son would have shamed his father and shamed the entire family, but they still knew that could happen. Or how about this one? A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell among thieves, who beat him and stripped him and left him half dead. Huh. 
Well, they knew that could happen. I mean, the way from Jerusalem down to Jericho, it did go down literally, topographically, geographically. It went down, and there were all kinds of places for robbers to hide out so they could attack and, and kill people and steal what they had. It was called the bloody way. So again, even though a parable is a made-up story, it corresponds to reality. It is true to life. These are not just fairy tales that Jesus is telling. Another thing about parables is that these true-to-life comparisons and stories, somewhere along the line, will leave you dumbfounded. There's going to be a surprise. Now, not all of them are that way, but many of them are. And so you're reading along the story that Jesus tells, and some, suddenly something just seems to be out of whack. Something just doesn't make sense. It's a surprise, and you're dumbfounded, and you're thinking, okay, it started out true to life, but man, that detail doesn't seem to make any sense. And listen, when you get to that dumbfounded part, when you get to that part that seems out of whack and that doesn't make sense, that's usually when the love of God and the grace of God has entered the story. Let me give you an example. Matthew chapter 21. A landowner rents out his ground to some tenant farmers. He leaves and goes on a trip. When it's harvest time, he sends his servants to go back to get the produce. And what do those tenant farmers do? When they see the servant coming, they beat one, they killed another, they stoned a third. So he sends more servants. They do the same thing. They beat, they kill, they stone. And so then that farmer, that landowner says, they will respect my son. I'll send him. And you're dumbfounded. What father in his right mind would send his son into a pack of wolves that have already beaten, killed, and stoned? He's not going to do that. No father in his right mind would do that. And yet, what father did send his son into the midst of such wickedness? God. You see, the grace of God and the love of God just entered the story. What about the parable of the prodigal son? Son comes to his father, says, give me my share of the estate, dad, I'm leaving. And although, again, it would have shamed the father and the family, the father does it. He goes off, squanders his wealth, finds himself finally in a pig pen with nothing, and is starving to death, and he thinks to himself, well, even my father's hired servants have enough to eat. I'll go back and tell my father to take me on as one of his hired hands. And he rehearsed this little speech to himself, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired servants. And so he goes back. He rounds the final, final bend in the road and tops the hill. And the father sees him and begins running to him. And as his father gets there, he begins this little rehearsed speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And the father interrupts him. And you expect the father to say, it's about time you got home. I'm going to beat the tar out of you for what you've done to this family and how you have, have decimated us financially and everything. That's what one would expect. 
But the father says what? Quick, bring a robe and put on him and put sandals on his feet and bring a ring and put on his hand and kill the fattened calf for this son of mine was dead and he's alive. He was lost and he's found. What father responds that way to such sinful actions on our part? You see, the grace of God and the love of God entered the story at the dumbfounding part, the part that's out of whack. Now, not all parables are like that. Many of them are. The one we're looking at today really doesn't have that dumbfounded part, doesn't have the surprising part. And I think that's probably because Jesus tells us exactly what the parable means. So, we're not surprised. So, in our study of Luke, we come to chapter 8, verses 4 through 15 today, and the parable of the sower. Some call it the parable of the soils. But let's read verses 4 through 8. When a great multitude were coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow a seed. As he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell into the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now put yourself in the crowd hearing that parable. That's all you hear. That's it. But after Jesus spoke these words, his disciples come to him a little bit confused about the meaning, as well as wondering why he's teaching the people in parables. So Jesus tells them, not the whole crowd, in verse 10, to you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it's in parables, in order that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Then he explains the parables to his disciples here, not to the whole crowd. Aren't you glad we've got the scriptures? Yeah. So in verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who've heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who've heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. And in Matthew's account of this, in Matthew 13, he says, and some produce 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. So that's the parable and the explanation of it. So you see, in Bible times, they would broadcast the seed out on the ground in the field, and then they would plow it under. Most farmers today, if they've had the right kind of spring season and not too much rain or whatever, will usually prepare the field first. Disc it, 
whatever. You see these things behind that with all these whirling things that help break up the clods and stuff, they prepare the ground before they plant the seed today for the most part. Not in that day. They would broadcast the seed and then plow it under. And their plow may have not been anything more than a crooked stick that would be pulled behind an ox or a donkey. It'd have a point on it and it could break up the surface of the ground. And really it just scratched the surface. Now when you broadcast seed by hand, as they would in those days, you can't always tell where it's going to fall, can you? Because of the wind and things like that. And so it was in Bible days, if the wind got a hold of it, you didn't know where it was going to fall. So because of that, some of the seed would fall on the pathway. Some would fall on the hard ground. It'd fall in a place where it couldn't penetrate the surface. And Jesus says, these are the ones who when they hear the word and they don't understand it, that Satan comes and plucks it out of their minds before it ever has a chance to penetrate their hearts and have a chance to grow. And so, end result, they won't believe and they're not saved. So what's Jesus saying here to us? Well, he's simply saying that whenever you share the gospel, there will always be those in every community that will be like that. There will always be people who have no concern at all for the gospel. And when the gospel is presented to them, they won't even allow it to penetrate. They won't let it get into their minds and their conscious understanding. And before they really begin to contemplate what the gospel is all about, Satan comes and snatches that word away. The end result, they make no response. And they're lost. When I was younger, these people really bothered me. And to this day, I'm still bothered by people that don't want to hear about Jesus because I know their ultimate destination is hell. I know that. The Bible teaches us that. There was a time when I thought that everybody would want to hear the gospel. <laughs> Boy, was I ever fooled about that one. And I'm amazed at the given number in any community who could care less about Jesus. They could care less about God. They could care less about spiritual matters. They're only living for this world and the physical things that they can accumulate. And I'm concerned about that, but I don't let it get to me anymore. You see, I have to understand, and so do you, that when you go to share the gospel in our community, when you go out and sow the word of God, you begin to broadcast that gospel seed. You talk about Christ and share your faith. You need to know in advance there will always be those that will have no concern at all and may even shut the door in your face. Now, don't let those people discourage you. Jesus has already told us it's going to be that way. Already warned us. And right here in our community and in this county, there are people like this who have no concern at all for Christ. No concern for God, no concern for spiritual things. Now we still have to sow the seed. We still make the attempt. And we never let their lack of response discourage us from what we need to do. Now Jesus said some seed also fell on rocky soil. So what kind of soil is that? Soil with rocks in it, right? Well, you can find that kind of soil all over the land of Palestine. When we were there in 2010, we could see field after field after field that was just covered with rocks. 
That's not unusual. But that's not the kind of soil Jesus is necessarily talking about. He's talking about that soil where there's a very thin layer of topsoil and not far beneath it, the bedrock is close to the surface. Now when you have soil where the bedrock is close to the surface and you plant seeds there, what's going to happen? Well, the bedrock serves as kind of a hotbed. The seeds spring up quickly, almost immediately. But when the sun gets up and begins to beat down on those plants, you know what happens, right? They wither and die. Why? No depth of root. Their root system can't penetrate that bedrock and get down to the moisture and the good stuff to make them grow. And Jesus is saying to us, there will always be those individuals in every community just like that. They'll accept the gospel readily, but they really don't have any depth of understanding. They don't let the gospel take root deeply in their heart and their, their conscious mind. So when difficulties arise or when persecutions come or when someone makes a sliding remark about them, or maybe they get back into their old haunts and with their old friends, they can't handle it because they have no depth in them. And when the temptations come, they wither and they die spiritually. I have in my office a book called The Pastoral Record. And in that book is a list of every person that I have baptized into Christ. Every one of them. And I know for a fact there are several of them that no longer follow Jesus. They've deserted him. They had no depth of root. And when the troubles and trials of life came, or when they got back with their old friends and their old way of life, they, they just withered in their faith. And I'm bothered by that. But I'm not going to let that discourage me from planting more seed. Because Jesus has told me in advance there will be people like that. There's a third kind of reception to the gospel, those of the thorny soil. And these kind of people probably bother me more than the others because if you compare this account in Luke 8 with Matthew's account in Matthew 13, these are the ones that really understand the value of the gospel. And they accept it with joy. They see the need of it in their own life. They, they understand its value. They're sick and tired of living a sinful life. They know on their own they're going nowhere, that there's something missing in their life that no amount of possessions can satisfy. They're tired of living that way. They know what's going to happen if they keep on living the kind of life they're living. They feel like they're going down and down and down and that there's no real future for them, no real satisfaction. And when they hear about Jesus and the gospel, they realize this is the answer. This is what they've been wanting all along. This is what they've been waiting for. And with joy they accept Christ. And they're baptized into Him. They begin to live the Christian life. But lo and behold, they make one tragic mistake. They are poor gardeners. They fail to pull the weeds out of their life while trying to let the good seed grow. And no one can produce well if they're living with the weeds. Never understood what it is about thorns and weeds that cause them to grow faster than domesticated plants. <laughs> if you understand that, you can try to explain it to me. But isn't it interesting that in life it seems to be the same way? Folks, we've got to be good gardeners. 
we got to pull the weeds out, get rid of the weeds and the thorns. Jesus said these thorns were the worries of the world. Are you a chronic worrier? You a worry wart? Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 not to worry. And he says the answer to that is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the Lord will take care, take care of the rest. Jesus also says some of these thorns have to do with the deceitfulness of riches. What's so deceitful about riches? Well, the main thing is that people deceive themselves into thinking they have security if they have enough wealth. Folks, there's no security in wealth. Scripture says that riches and wealth can disappear very quickly as if they had wings and fly away. And yet, many who profess to be Christians get so involved with making more and more money that they neglect the opportunities to grow spiritually and their pursuit of riches choke out the Word of God and they become unfruitful, as Jesus says in verse 14. And he talks about the pleasures of this life being one of those thorns. The pleasures of this life. The pursuit of pleasure. Folks, we've got to have our priorities right. Why is it so easy to spend two or three hours at a ball game or shopping or going out to eat or whatever, yet it's so hard to spend an hour or two when the church meets? Why is it so easy to let other things get in the way of being around the main thing and remembering what God gave us in Jesus and what he did to save us. And yet we do, and then we have the audacity to say that we love Jesus. And we claim to be Christians and being followers of Jesus, and yet everything else in the world crowds him out. We get our priorities all out of whack. Jesus says there will always be people like that in every community. And be careful because it could happen to you if you don't get rid of the thorns and the weeds in your life. And with some people, it happens to them and they don't even realize that it happens. So we've got to be very careful. But thanks be to God, there will always be a fourth kind of reception to the gospel. And these are the ones that keep you going. It's not necessarily, I hope I say this right, but it's not necessarily my love for people that keeps me in the ministry. <laughs> if you think that, you're wrong. It's not my love for people that keeps me going in the ministry, it's my love for Jesus. Now, I hope you, I hope you get that. People will let you down. People will fail you. Jesus never will. And the reason that you stay in church is because of your love for Jesus Christ. And you demonstrate your love for Him by loving the people around you. You see, the only way I can adequately demonstrate my love for Jesus Christ is to love you. And it's the same for you. And I'm here preaching the gospel today because of my love for Christ. That's what keeps me going. And I've learned that in every community there are people who love Jesus. And that encourages me. And the exciting thing is there are people right here in Bridgeport and 
our surrounding area here in Lawrence County that are not yet Christians, who've not yet obeyed the gospel, but they have the potential of being some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, of being fruit producers. They're good soil. And they're just waiting for you to sow the seed. Waiting for you to share the gospel with them. And I can assure you, there will always be people in this community that are going to respond favorably to the gospel. There will always be people like that. That will receive it with gladness of heart. And they'll bring forth the harvest. How do I know that? He said so. He said so. I believe him. Do you? And that's the message today. It's decision time. There may be some good soil among us this morning ready to receive the Word of God. The Word that's been sown in their life. And maybe there's someone that desires to step out today and accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. If you're ready to do that, then as we stand and sing, just step out from where you're standing and meet me down in front. We have everything prepared and ready for you to make that decision if you're ready to do it. To respond to the gospel, to respond to the love of God who sent Jesus to die for your sins so you could be saved for all of eternity. So I pray that if you're ready to do that, you will do it today. Others of us here today probably need to do some gardening. Need to pull some weeds out of our life. Get rid of some thorns that are choking out the Word of God. Choking out what should be the top priorities in our life. I don't know who it ever was that first said that we need to keep the main thing the main thing. But we do. So maybe you need to do some gardening today. Most of us here today are already Christians. We've already obeyed the gospel. So maybe our decision today has to do with being a sower. Are you sowing the seed? Are you planting the gospel? Are you telling someone about Jesus? Are you actively trying to lead someone to Christ? Why is it so difficult for each Christian to win just at least one person a year to the Lord? Why is that so hard? Why do we allow ourselves to come to church week after week after week and then think that we have no personal responsibility to lead someone to the Lord? That's everyone's job. Well, today is a day to say, not anymore. With God's help, I'm going to lead someone to Christ. Whether by the end of this year or by the end of next year, how many people would be willing to make that type of decision, that kind of commitment? And that may mean in its simplest form, just bringing someone to church with you to hear the gospel and to encourage them to consider what they hear. It could mean that you personally share the plan of salvation with them or that you personally tell someone how you came to be a Christian. Remember back before COVID? <laughs> Can you remember that far back? Do you remember the green wristbands that we used to have and wear to remind us to share our faith? I'm not sure where I've placed mine. I hate to tell you that. I know someone that has worn theirs longer 
than anybody else I remember, and that's my brother-in-law who's up there on sound, and he's got his hand up showing me right now. I didn't even have to look up there because I know that he has it on every single day as a reminder. How about you? And you remember those bright colored cards that we handed out where you were supposed to write down the name of someone that you would pray for and try to lead to Christ? How are you doing on that? You've had a few years to work on it. If we had all taken that seriously, what would we see today? A full house. Just a reminder that we're not doing it. And we might as well admit that. What would this church look like at the end of, (laughs) can you believe we're already talking about 2023? What will this church look like at the end of this year and what will it look like at the end of next year? Most churches are stagnant or in a state of decline. What will New Hope be? It depends on you. It depends upon us sowing the Word of God. Let's do it. Let's stand and sing.